Hello and welcome to Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt once again joined by Angel. Now, Angel, we have a lot to cover in this episode. Possibly the the weirdest thing we have ever looked into, the idea that the color blue has only existed in the modern era. I'm I'm already getting worked up about this entire concept but before we get into that we have a very important challenge for the year that we have to continue on with that challenge of course being that we are attempting to become better people as we have identified in previous episodes we are attempting to do this by setting goals for one another each episode in an attempt to shed ourselves of our idiot slob skins of years past the question has been raised if these goals are, are really helping us to become better people and all i can say is without a doubt in my mind no <laughs> but hey this week may be the week that it tips the scales to make us better people so with that angel hit me with the first goal that you have for me in this episode this first goal for you is actually quite simple i think it is truly to improve on, on ourselves and simply to, uh, throughout this episode, address our curiosities every once in a while. Oh. <laughs> Aren't I already doing that? <laughs> Directly. <laughs> Call him out by name. Call him out by name. <laughs> I'll do my best. Do my best. There is a shadow of, a, no shadow of a doubt that you, Angel, are the biggest anime fan I know. You are always spitting anime facts about shows I've, I've never even heard of. You go on and on about the newest trends in anime and claim you have, as you say, a big anime head. So I need you to dig deep into that anime head of yours and power up, my friend. This episode deserves your truest potential. And the only way to do that is to anime power up before you give an answer to one of the one of the many questions in this episode. Maybe even multiple times if you want to become even more powerful. Multiple power ups that may leave me speechless by the end of the episode. I need your, your best anime power-up. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like I'm getting too old for this. My voice it sounds is... like you need a power-up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, your, for your second goal, Matt, whenever since we're going to be talking about the color blue a lot, I feel, mm. and since this is a, a podcast, you know, audio-based medium... I feel that perhaps instead of saying the uh, the color blue, you should just refer to it in metaphor every time. In metaphor? Okay. I will refer to the color blue in metaphor. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> How about idioms? In the, in the last several months, you have, of course, moved out of your home state of Florida. And I, I think it's important to go to different parts of the country to see how other people live in other places, see different customs and this such. So I thought, why don't we bring that to our episode? 
I need you to introduce us to the newest character of yours, and possibly even a, a recurring character, if you will. Some dude from New York named Tony. <laughs> As Tony, you must answer two questions with a New York accent with the mindset that you are just some dude from the streets of New York City. <laughs> Great, I get to insult all of New York <laughs> with my terrible accent. <laughs> Your terrible accent. Okay. Oh. Is it gonna? I hope it's offensive. <laughs> um. Anytime I do an accent, it's offensive. <laughs> so finally, this is the big one. This is the one you've been waiting for. In Alice in Wonderland, there is a riddle. <laughs> oh, I am not good at riddles. I've identified that. There is a riddle featured. Why is a raven like a writing desk? The riddle has no proper solution, no intended solution. Even Lewis Carroll uh, said so, even though he was hounded for years to provide an answer. And then mm -hmm. he, eventually he, he, he gave in. But for the purposes, it was a potential answer, actually. There's several answers that could go with this. But for you, Matt, I ask that in order to improve ourselves, we must work on our critical thinking skills. So... This riddle I pose onto you, and you must come up with an answer before the episode's end. Of why is a raven like a writing desk? Yes. Oh, I'd rather be haunted by the ghost of Lewis Carroll. <laughs> that that could be an answer. <laughs> come on, bring it, bring it, bring it to me, <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> so, <laughs> Angel, we gotta hit some some new demographics. Get some younger people listening to the show. And research shows the best way to do that is to talk like the young people. I recall in a previous episode... <laughs> I recall in a previous episode it was stated you were just a stone's throw away from 50 years old. If that was true, <laughs> true or not, uh, isn't the subject of this goal. But I need you to connect with the young people. All over social media I keep seeing people refer to others as king or queen you know like some guy will post this is for all my kings out there and it'll be like a picture of a guy cooking food or some garbage i don't know i don't get it so i need you angel to address all the kings out there at some point but you need to add what kings need a royal flair to it so before you address all your kings i need you to give me a hear ye hear ye followed by a royal trumpet noise that you make, and then you can address your kings. Okay. <laughs> All those kings out there. Oh, Jesus. With that, let us kick off this episode, and Angel, I already know this one is going to physically pain me, but we have to see if there is any validity to this idea. As famed actor Mike Myers is quoted as saying, you have to dig deeper. This is a... <laughs> just don't look them in the eyes. This is a thing that will pop up every once in a while on the internet. The, the idea that the color blue did not exist until modern times. At a surface level, does this sound like the most absurd thing we have ever looked at before? Absolutely. It's the premise... <laughs> the, the color blue did not exist <laughs> until modern. What does that even mean? 
Like it didn't exist. Like I didn't see it. Is it? I what? And what is? At what point do we hit modern times? Is it like a switch and everyone just sees blue? <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell was my my parents thinking? Not never <laughs> speaking of the word blue, of the color blue. You know what? In fact, I think my parents have never mentioned the color blue ever in my life. Can they see it? Yeah, you have you have no memories of the color blue ever being discussed. I yeah, I mean that's that's how it works, right? If we've never talked about the color blue, or at least I don't remember it. Then mm-hmm. it never happened, and therefore it didn't exist. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a conversation where anybody has brought up the word indigo. And is it real? I don't know. You just made it up right now. Oh, shit. <laughs> Prior to us researching this concept, was this a theory you ever saw before? That for the majority of human existence, there has been no acknowledgement of the color blue. I... I, I seem to recall hearing something about it a few years back, but for some reason, I kind of just went, no, and then moved on. Like, I didn't pay attention to it. I didn't want to pay attention. I thought that that sounded kind of stupid, but I don't know why I never really looked into that as to why people were saying anything like that. I faintly recall, like, headlines of it, and then never really looking deeper into it, just the the. A, the idea of it being out there and be like, what the hell? No. No. Why is it that you think, or even do, why do you think that people would make this claim and on top of that, put some serious academic research into the matter? Do you think that this is possibly a scenario like building the pyramids where ancient people are often perceived to be these archaic numbskulls who couldn't have completed anything on their own without some sort of higher intelligence telling them how to create monumental constructions actually yeah that does sound right i i am missing that though i am missing the whole ancient people didn't see blue until the aliens came and (laughs) enlightened them that's that's Mm -hmm. all that's missing here sounds like a chance for tony (laughs) tony you talk about new york tony new york tony from new york city (laughs) his name is new york tony (laughs) my name is new york tony Why'd you bring me in this studio? I'm here trying to walk the streets. And then they pull me in and say, hey, New York Tony, we need you on this radio show. So I'm, I'm in the radio show. I'm in the studio. What's going on? What do you need New York Tony for? They're buying a slice. I'm going to buy some gobble I love some gobble <laughs> oh, Sorry, the best episode ever. For the most part, the most popular book that puts this theory out there is Studies on Homer and the Homeric Age by four times, count it four times, Angel, British Prime Minister William Gladstone, who, of course, is the nine times deep great-grandfather of your favorite Full House character, Joey Gladstone. (laughs) Willie Gladstone wrote this book in 1858 and pointed out a major issue he found with Homer. That being the color blue is not mentioned anywhere in his works. Instead, in the Iliad, Homer describes things that people in the modern era would call blue, such as the sea or ocean as wine dark. Other oddities he found was how Homer referred to as to honey as the color green or iron and sheep as violet. According to a Business Insider article about Gladstone, it mentions that he counted nearly 200 references to the color black, around 100 uses of the color white, Red 15 times, and then yellow and green less than 10. So no blue at all. 
What's up with that, Angel? Was Homer an idiot slob who didn't know what the color blue was? Clearly. <laughs> he didn't shed his skin? <laughs> I, I mean, this, this, there's something wrong, weird about this, this whole thing. The, the whole, well, let me just look at these works that, you know, have been translated mm-hmm. who knows how many times and point out all the colors that were mentioned. And because blue's not mentioned, I guess Homer couldn't see blue. Once again, it's like my parents never discussing blue. So I guess they, they can't see that color either. I mean, it's, it's painful. It's blue as a bruise, as they say, Angel, blue as a bruise. <laughs> it's just painful to look at. I just imagine Gladstone being alive in the year 1998. He goes to the movies with Tony Blair, who, of course, was the British Prime Minister in 1998. Tony undoubtedly has to wheel Willie Gladstone into the movie theater because Gladstone at that point would be 189 years old, probably a mummified corpse hanging on to life by a thread. But I expect they're, they're real good buddies, hence why they're going to the movies. They purchased two tickets to the critically acclaimed movie that everyone was talking about in 1998. Like, people just couldn't stop gushing over it. The story, the drama, the cinematography, the movie people were getting themselves lost in. I'm, of course, talking about Tobey Maguire's fan-favorite movie, Pleasantville. These people living in a grayscale world and then begin to be exposed to color. I also imagine as Tony Blair narrates what's going on in the movie to Gladstone because, you know, Gladstone's 189 years old and his eyes have disintegrated out of his head by then, Gladstone has this epiphany. This was like the Greeks. They could only see in black and white. An angel and curiosities, especially you, Joe, out there listening. According to some interpretations of Gladstone's book, some people think he pretty much thought that. There's an interpretation that Homer's use of colors suggests that he and other Greeks were colorblind, and further claims by Gladstone that, quote, the organ of color and its impressions were but partially developed among the Greeks of the heroic age. So, Angel, the Greeks as an entire people had broken eyes. Do you believe it? Well, now that I think about it, I guess I guess I maybe do believe it. I mean, I watch all these old movies that are black and white, so maybe people wouldn't see color back then. That's why the movies was in black and white. You know what I'm saying? New York Tony in the studio. I'm loving this podcast stuff. I don't know what happened to my voice there. <laughs> I don't know what accent that is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at my goals to see what the hell's going on. What do I have to do? And they were all just colorblind. All of them, every single Greek was colorblind. <laughs> just within their borders, all of them colorblind. <laughs> what the hell? There is no outside mixing of any kind. There's <laughs> just Greeks upon Greeks and just colorblindness. <laughs> and, Embedded and like, in that genetic code, colorblindness. And it's just, it's, this is like true colorblindness because this isn't like oh i could see red and green no 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 it's like no. black and white sh- complete grayscale everything <laughs> toby Maguire, he had to do it in pleasantville <laughs> i guess once they started experiencing pleasure they started to see color or something yep as they got as enlightenment came to them they they gained the, the ability to see color wow that darn description of homer of a of a wine colored C really did a number on Gladstone. But wine colored is such an open-ended description in my opinion. What type of what type of wine are we talking here? Is 
this wine colored implying a dark red. The color of Greek wine I looked into ranged from a dark inky black to a tawny color to also nearly clear. They were then diluted with water, even snow, to chill them, which I thought was interesting. And as the Greeks believed only barbarians drank undiluted wine, some bozos even diluted their wine with seawater. And, and I just imagine the scene in the movie Cabin Boy starring Chris Elliott where he's on a raft and then begins to drink salt water and then progressively becomes more and more insane. If, if you are making wine with grapes, the type of color is also determined by the variety of grape and the amount of skin contact while the juice is being extracted. So wine was super important to the ancient peoples such that the Romans even codified into law the difference between old and new wines and how that was based off of having it been at least a year old. So what do you make of the descriptions of wine colored? Was this just him using language that people of the time would have understood? I think it's uh, I think it's a little bit more maybe complicated or complex than that. If we're talking about Homer himself and not the translations, do we actually know if he used the word wine colored? Exactly. If the translator felt that the word they used best descri- uh, described wine colored, maybe like, um, for example, I, re- I read this book and by read, I mean, I skimmed it called The Rarest Blue. You read every other word. (laughs) I read every other word. And it talks about developing a blue dye using some ocean snail. And it says, and I quote, From these mollusks, a broad spectrum of colors can be produced, all subsumed in ancient times under the term purple. And then it goes on to say, purple to the ancients meant the whole range of colors from blue to red. Though today we use that term to describe only a small subset of those hues. Purple is a fluid chromatic concept in antiquity, writes Philip Ball in Bright Earth. A fluid chromatic concept, damn. <laughs> and the ancient dye ranged in color from bluish to a deep red. I'm wine colored. <clears throat> yeah, wine colored. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but drinking red wine, I sometimes there's like little a little bit of red wine left behind. And when I pour water into the glass it fills up and it has a bluish tint to it but they couldn't see the difference angel uh, cl- clearly <laughs> and they didn't see anything happen there's no <laughs> no reaction it's just, it just looks exactly the same <laughs> they were just zombies moving through life <laughs> they, they were uh you know a lot of the uh so so-called great philosophers came out of that uh, greek tradition but you know they probably couldn't see colors. That's why they were so good at philosophizing. Uh-huh. Plato, he didn't even know how to talk. He just grunted, and people <laughs> interpreted the grunts. <laughs> well, well, yep, that, that's, that's uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the cave. Okay, sure. Sure, Plato. <laughs> <laughs> Little old people know Quasimodo was based on Plato. <laughs> a rare historical fact. Wait, so the, what do you the think? The Quasimodo speaking grunts. <laughs> you have to find out. <laughs> Go watch uh, the famous Quasimodo movie. <laughs> what do you think Homer was trying to to depict with the description of wine colored? Probably the color of the sea. <laughs> it just it it's just dark. seems 
yeah, Gladstone was so unhinged about wine colored. It's like it broke him. My my thought is I'm wondering if Gladstone's thinking like white wine. He's like, what? (laughs) He had never had anything but white wine. (laughs) Homer sees the yellow tinge. It's, it's a white, a clearish, yellowish tinged liquid. What is this? <laughs> what do you, what do you think the importance of even describing the color of the water is? Like we, we would all presumably know what the color of it is. So why describe it? I mean, why describe anything really? This is what uh, novelists do. I'm of the camp, especially a lot of people on Twitter are like this too. So, you know, you can at me. I'm of the camp where when you're writing a book, just just tell it to me plainly. I'll imagine the rest in my head, okay? I don't need to know that the wall is made out of bricks or there's a crack or or the guy's walking. Just just say, dude did this, and then I picture the rest. Here here of the camp of Kevin from the office of why what's he say like why say more less words better or something to that effect. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, just write a book that way. <laughs> Take out every third word you would say and just leave a blank there. It's like Mad Libs. <laughs> let the reader fill it in. <laughs> yep. So let me throw this at you, Angel. And all the curiosities out there, too. We will see if this tickles your fancy. It is believed Homer originated the story of the Iliad. At least he's the one who is credited as uh, as its author, maybe around the 8th century BC. He possibly didn't physically write it because he is thought to be blind, and he likely dictated it to someone, so keep that in mind as well. Some evidence suggests a man named Pisistratos collected and organized these stories roughly 200 years later. The oldest surviving manuscript of the story is roughly 1,000 years old. The first printed version was produced in 1488, Angel, how likely is it that Homer actually used the word wine-colored like you had said in the original story? I think it's very likely because... (laughs) Tony's back. Yeah, New York Tony here. I think it's very likely because those Greeks love drinking. And I gotta stop talking like this because the accent keeps changing. It's like slowly starting to sound like Dusty Rhodes of wrestling fame. Is in a time where oral storytelling was the tradition, how likely do you think the original story of the Iliad is actually what we know of it today? He, it was never written down for roughly, likely, 200 years. How much changes then? 200 years. Based on everything we know of oral storytellers, is that every time a story was told, it got changed. And... It could have been on purpose or it could have been by accident, but they don't remain the same. So, and even the same storyteller can change the details because it's like uh, improvising and jazz, you know? You just got to throw in a little bebop some boops in there. Yep. Start scatting. <laughs> just start scatting. <laughs> it's chaotic. And the crowd goes wild. Yeah. Because they're like, wow, he's telling it differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some bard is out there just just vibing through the story he's like 1200 lines into the poem and he's just he's just <laughs> is focused he, he the crowd disappears and he just hits it yep almost like an anime power-up 
almost. Almost like that. So some think the blindness attributed to Homer is actually a myth to help explain why he didn't write it down, which actually coincides with the tradition of the time of passing stories down orally before Greeks started to write them down. Now, this is a, a big question here that you may be unequipped to even answer. But what do you think the impact of language used in a story developed prior to a culture even having developed written language would have on that story. So based on timelines of what we know about the Greeks, Homer created this story or is attributed to have creating this story before the Greeks had written word. Here's my issue with modern media. They always depict olden times, mm-hmm. everyone, no matter where they're from, whether they're Greek or in ancient China or England, they all speak with an English accent. Mm-hmm. And they always speak very proper for some reason. <laughs> uh, even even like uh, like in shows like Stargate, where they visit on this other worlds, and whenever they uh, met somebody that was technologically advanced, they they had an English accent, and they're very proper. I feel like this is all wrong. I I firmly believe that people like even Homer spoke like we do today where we have like ums and stutters Mm -hmm. and maybe mess ups i think that that it's a huge impact because when you're writing stuff down you don't want to include all that stuff so you want to clean up the the language and 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 make it understandable i think uh, i think oral storytelling probably to a modern ear sounds informal i think the written word versus hearing the actual story would would be completely different I could make it more refined, more to the point, even. Yeah, especially if you if you're collecting, if if this is a story that Homer repeatedly s- says, you know, there's variations to it. So it's like, which what version do you put down on paper? Maybe mm-hmm. you take a little bit of one version and, and add another thing from a different version. You know, kind of a kind of editing. Yeah, and even like by the time in his orating career. The first time he tells a story to the last time he tells a story, who's to know if they're even the same story by then? From the author, a, a person attributed to it, telling the story. There's yeah. no, there would be no record of that until his disciples learn it and then start spreading it out themselves. Like, And then who knows if each one of them actually told the same story or they modified it to their own likeness or their own desires. Everything's a lie. <laughs> the Odyssey, the Iliad, it's all God damn lie. And then it's worse now because now that everything's written down and you try to retell the story, somebody be like, uh, that's not how it went. I could point it out to you. He's like, no, no, no. See, I don't care what it's written down anymore at that point. If I'm telling the story to you orally, I don't care how it's written down. I looked at a 1743 publication of the Iliad, which was translated by Alexander Pope, who the hell knows who he is. And the word... <laughs> The word blue, or as some say, blue as a robin's egg, which is a metaphor used to describe the color of a robin's egg, which is a light blue, it can also be used to describe something that is delicate, fragile, or or precious, like Homer. So, in the 1846 edition attributed also to... So, let me go back there, because I, I got stuck in my metaphor. I didn't mention that. In that 1743 publication, uh, the color blue shows up six times. In the 1846 edition, attributed also to 
Alexander Pope, again, whoever the hell he is, as the translator, the word blue, or maybe like blue as love, the metaphor being used to describe the color of love, which is blue, it can also be used to describe something that is passionate or intense or romantic. The word blue shows up in that edition 14 times. How can the same work being attributed to being translated by the same man have a difference in how many times the word blue shows up? And then on top of that, it's all attributed that, like all of this is, this whole concept is attributed to Gladstone, who wrote the book on Homer in 1858, one almost a century after the uh, first Alexander Pope translation I mentioned. Like, how is this all attributed to Homer never used the word blue? When in those translations that were published before Gladstone did his own book, had the word blue in it. So, I mean, there lots of lots of questions, right? What, Answer them all right now. <laughs> what what <laughs> book did Willie, Willie Gladstone <laughs> use, right? Which version? Did, did he, he translate use, it himself? Did, did he even, right, did he even use Alexander Pope's version? Why did Alexander Pope's two versions have... A different amount of the uh, very numbers of the color of blue. Yeah. Right. Are we, are we blaming publishers here? Editors? I mean, it could be, again, it could be a translation issue where maybe he translated wine dark to being blue. He's like, ah, it's just blue here. Right. And then maybe in the next edition, he's like, oh, maybe it's not blue. Maybe he meant something else. Who knows? A lot of the times it was in reference to the to eye color, to have blue eyes. And I saw one analysis of it was when being translated they it should have been translated to like striking or like piercing and so it's often translated then instead to a color to have more reference to the to give the person humanity i suppose so it it could just be Mm -hmm. alexander pope just translating willy-nilly and making his own version of iliad (laughs) no is 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 he the 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 did the same thing as uh, what's her face did for um, translating the Chinese, <laughs> the Piasa for the Piasa. stuff. <laughs> like, no scholar can do it, but I figured it out. I, I cracked the code. <laughs> I cracked the Chinese I'm, code. I'm me. I'm a person who doesn't speak Chinese at all. <laughs> I'm a I'm a raven, not like a on a, a writing desk, just <laughs> translating whatever I please. <laughs> Is that your final answer? No, I'll have many. I'll have many. <laughs> we have a lot of episode to get through. <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, God. Curiosities, believe it or not, I'm talking to you. Beyond, beyond Gladstone, there is research done by philologist Lazarus Geiger. God damn, what a name, Lazarus Geiger. That, it's like a Dungeons & Dragons name. That claims... It wasn't just the Greeks, it was everyone who didn't understand the color blue. Like, blue as the sky, the metaphor used to describe the color of the sky, which is typically blue, (laughs) typically, but it also is used to describe something that is vast, open, or limitless, like all of the languages of the world. Geiger decided to look into when the color blue began to appear more and more in language and found that languages first have words for the colors black and white, or dark and light these are then followed by words for red yellow and then green finally after all those colors have been developed we see the word for blue begin to develop like blue as the ocean 
The metaphor used to describe the color of the ocean, which is angel, typically blue. It then can also be used to describe something as deep, mysterious, or vast, like language. <laughs> this then becomes an argument about, in my opinion, conceptualization and language. For instance, Angel, in your entire life, how many times do you think you have seen snow in person? Every freaking day. In New York, it never stops snowing. <laughs> Tony, get out of here. I was talking to Angel. <laughs> um, uh, I, I can tell what, you. How, how old is Tony living? It's <laughs> in the post-apocalyptic world. It's just snowing constantly. I don't know where he lives. He Nuclear he lives holocaust. But clearly, it's not. Um, I've I can count how many times I've seen snow on my on my one hand, which is basically once. <laughs> I was hoping you tell us stories of each individual time. Well, actually, twice, twice. Oh, and it was always light, very light snow. So I've never even been in a blizzard, which is a good thing, I guess. <laughs> you don't want to be. <laughs> so it's it's reported that the Inuit have multiple words to describe snow. And, and as I looked this up, because it was a random factoid I thought of as we were, as I was going through this all, apparently it's it's heated a heated debate on if they really do or do not have over 50 words to describe snow. But here or there, the idea is that as culture grows in an area for generations, language is developed to reflect their lives, it could be said. The Egyptians did indeed have a word for the color blue. And the idea for some scholars is because they had resources to create a blue dye. Known as uh, Egyptian blue, it was a pigment made from a mixture of silica, lime, copper, and an alkali. And was used from the 2000s BC all the way up to the end of the Roman period. I think people often forget how long Egyptian civilization has been around. Like The Greeks and Romans basically looked at the Egyptians how we look at Greek and Romans as ancient civilization. Assuming the idea for language wouldn't develop a word for blue, like blue as sadness, the metaphors that's described to describe the color of sadness, it is also used to describe something as melancholy, downcast, or depressed, like not having a word for blue. Until a certain point in a culture's development is true, are we just happening to see a segment of time when Homer wrote this, where ancient civilizations just hasn't hadn't fully developed yet. <laughs> powered up. I'm so mad. I'm using my energies. Take my energy. Take the energy of our curiosities. I think this is so absurd. I I don't understand where these these ideas come from. Civilizations not fully developed. They they have there's pyramids. There's pyramids that the, the Greeks. You just said it. They, they they saw they viewed the Egyptians as ancient civilizations that like we view the Greeks as ancient, and they had pyramids then. You mean to tell and, me they didn't and, have and a, a word for blue? Word. They didn't have a color. A word for the color blue. It's it's ridiculous. It's it's like how come how come we first? Why do we even focus on the color blue? We have so many different co- names for for different kinds of blue. 
right? How come we're not asking, how come the ancient Greeks don't have the word cerulean or cyan or Vermilion. any other? <laughs> it's, 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 it's cornflower blue. No, is that corn? Yeah. Yeah, that's corn. corn Break out your crayon crayons for these colors. It's, it's, I mean, that, that that's that's my point. Like you, you watch Bob Ross, and he's got all these di- titanium whites. <laughs> the Van Dyke clearly, Browns. That's clearly <laughs> different from eggshell white. But nobody's nobody's batting batting an eye of this. How come nobody's saying, "Hey, the ancient Greeks didn't have multiple whites"? What gives? <laughs> Is. Uh, a callback to an older episode is this like the roman dodecahedron where possibly <laughs> just wasn't important enough to record over time i i feel like uh <clears throat> there's a lot of things i've thought about where i realize that if if we were to all die out one day and, and an alien civilization just comes down and starts reading any of our books whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there's going to be a lot of stuff that they're just not going to understand because there's a, an assumption that we all have about our daily lives you know like we're going to say stuff like running water they're gonna be like what does that mean toilet plumbing well like what does that mean nobody's gonna know because there's no actual document that says this is how everything works because nobody mm-hmm. needs it mm-hmm. and then you get into the minutia of language like idioms <laughs> good luck aliens trying to figure out <laughs> what, what, what a shotgun it, house is <laughs> what does it mean when he says he's pulling my leg mm-hmm. well that's that's what the georgia guidestones were for and they got blown up <laughs> oh god Oh man! Uh, Isn't that power, a story that just disappeared? Down. <laughs> People are so angry, <laughs> and their angry subs- anger subsided. <laughs> so, I think all of this, all of the things that we have looked at on this show so far, this concept of the color blue not existing is the most clickbaity of them all. In the specifically in the research, even more so than Loeb being the first cyber cryptid. <laughs> what a what a how do I say uh, disappointment that was? So the way this entire concept is presented in headlines makes it seem like the ancient world was dull and, and a boring mess, like the movie Pleasantville again, or that ancient peoples were just too dang stupid to see the color blue. It's very disingenuous, I think, to present it like that. But like when we spoke about the dead internet theory, this is the perfect concept for something like that. A story that can just sort of pop up over and over every few years, and it's the same goddamn story written website over website, referencing the same things over and over again. And it continues to blow people's minds. For instance, here are just a handful of articles I found. A sciencealert.com article titled, There's evidence humans didn't actually see blue until modern times. An ancientorigins.net article titled, Invisible Blue, the color that ancient people could not see. A Skyshot Media article, Blue, story of the color that didn't exist until recently. All of those titles imply blue did not exist. It makes me so angry, Angel! Is this another, the Native Americans didn't see the boats because they didn't know what huge seafaring vessels were, so they couldn't see it? The argument we repeated really <laughs> reference over and over again. I mean, it, this sounds like a, you know, classic, exactly one of those. I, I watched a YouTube video on the same, on the same topic about the blue and the ancients not seeing it. And the guy says, 
he 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 compared it to how when he learns a new English word, and all of a sudden he sees it everywhere. He's like, "Well, maybe the reality of it was that I've always noticed it, but I've never actually seen it until now that I've learned it." I'm like, "That doesn't make any sense." <laughs> I don't even understand that argument. <laughs> I don't. I've either. seen the word, but I don't. He didn't like, know what it meant until until he actually learned it. Like I don't. That that makes no sense. How do how do you, how do you know you've seen the word? Or, or, or rather, he said, how do you believe that you've seen the word before, but then you never really noticed it until you learned its mean? And I was like, if you had seen the word before and you didn't know what it meant, you would have been like, hey, what does that word mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Why would you think this? <laughs> what the hell? What the, the, the hell? Word, the word was just invisible to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it just like the ships. Or is the argument like they didn't maybe realize how, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. Como se dice? Uh, I'm trying to um, like how prolific the word was, like how many, how much the word actually was out there. Maybe sort of the same concept as I think this is a concept. Say that you you wake up every night at like 3:22. You remember it, and then you're always like, I wake, I keep waking up at 3:22 over and over and over again. But then it's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy because you remember that because you you laid that seed in your mind that that specific time is important to you for some reason or it's odd or because it's 22 repeating it imprints in your mind a little bit better than when you woke up at 216 or something like that and it had no significance to your life it's just the way the mind works or something like that yes yes <laughs> i i mean yeah it's, it's, mm-hmm. i don't i don't get, I don't get why people yeah I don't get why people come up with these. Matt, what if what if the natives, Angel, saw a blue boat? <laughs> oh my god, they they did it. They couldn't. <laughs> the Santa Maria just covered in blue paint. <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, I, while, while researching this, apparently the blue lights on a police vehicle. Actually, this is from a book, another book called "Blue in Search of Nature's Rarest Color." It was talking about how a police vehicle's uh, blue lights were initially put on there because they're harder to see from a distance. So you don't really see the cops coming until it's too late or something like what? that. What? Hold on a minute. <laughs> harder to see at a distance? Yeah, I don't I don't know what that means either. So why the hell do they add the sirens <laughs> that you can hear from a distance? <laughs> Well, maybe that's why they added sirens, because then they realized, oh, nobody's seen us. No one sees us. <laughs> and then they added the red light to, to, to enhance it. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I, I don't. I, that that book is a little weird to me, because I'm like, there's some stuff in there that I'm like, ah, you kind of sound like a dumbass. But whatever. So so for, for the curiosities out there, Angel, all of them out there listening, blue was, of course, everywhere. It, it, it was part of life it wasn't just some color that poofed into existence the rock lapis lazuli has been sought after and mined since at least nine thousand years ago for its desired blue color the rock and by proxy the color blue is mentioned in your favorite story of all time angel the epic of gilgamesh <laughs> likely written around four thousand years ago and it is one of the most influential stories ever written and is integral to foundations of religion and what we know today as the heroic saga. And I, and I, I couldn't help but think of you, Angel. The first thing 
I think about in Gilgamesh is just how Gilgamesh is out there doing his thing as the king of Uruk, and the gods send Enkidu to stop Gilgamesh from just being a dick to his people. In many ways, Enkidu is the antithesis of Gilgamesh, and they also start as enemies, but become because of their equal strength abilities, they become close friends working together, a a prime story trope in anime where enemies and become good friends and travel together, a la Goku and Vegeta and Dragon Ball Z. What do you think about Gilgamesh of all stories? Gilgamesh being so integral to anime, you big anime head. Hear ye, hear ye. I want to address all the kings in the audience uh, listening, all the curiosity kings out there. It, the story of Gilgamesh, not only does it apply to the animes, but it's to you kings who upraise your fellow kings. Don't be, don't act like jerks to them because that's mid. <laughs> you gotta... <laughs> You got to pick up that crown because and hand it over to them because they they got to you know you got to uplift each other up you know be be the bro love that that everyone needs in this world. That was and, so that was so it. modern. I I I have to go touch grass. Give me a moment. <laughs> Despite not having a word for it, the Romans used blue as there have been murals found in Pompeii of women wearing blue dresses. Presumably, one would think they used blue on the mural to reflect what was in reality, people wearing the color blue. <laughs> Let's just not forget, they had extensive trade with Egypt. <laughs> Who had Egyptian blue? <laughs> in my opinion, this argument boils down to a few things. So, of course, people saw the color blue. Let's say they're possibly was likely not a specific word to use for it. However, this could also be attributed to translation issues. Oftentimes, in Greek, there are concepts that just don't relate to our language. According to an article on lithub.com, there is a word that translates to our language from Greek as wife woman, but the concept or meaning of it is not spouse. It's just, it's a different concept that is not within our cultural confines. There's a Greek word often translated to slave, but it doesn't have the same idea of forced servitude. It's something separate. Do you think a portion of this problem, that there is no evidence of the color blue, could be due to a lost in translation problem? Oh yeah, I, I think that's I think that's uh, a factor. I think it's several, you know, a bunch of things combined. Something, so, you know, a civilization is so old. There's they're doing things. That we don't do anymore. I mean, did you know that the Romans would wash their clothes in urine? Did you know that they would swish urine around as a mouthwash and it would brighten their teeth? You could do this today, but nobody's going to do that. <laughs> and as they're washing their clothes, they're like, why is a raven like a writing desk? <laughs> they just and ask that back and forth. <laughs> so yeah. it was a game called... Uh, Raven's Claw. Yeah, so I mean, we, we we go we can continue. Like, there's because they use urine a lot. They had people the jobs that people would actually go around picking up the urine from different houses. And um, 
even in 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 England, there was jobs uh, like people that would go and uh, I think it was closed windows or open windows. It's just like a lot of things that we don't even know about today. There, there's there's a book I found out about a book that was a fiction book that was based off of actual practice in in I believe it was in Britain, in which they're called like sin eaters, where <clears throat> they hire somebody to basically remove a dead person's sins so that they can have a good afterlife. And by and they do this by feeding them bread or something, and these people t- usually were like poor, so they'll they'll take it because they get fed, you know. They'll take the job, and it's like, you know, it's like this is a thing that just sounds like it came out of some fantasy novel, mm-hmm. but this is a thing that actually happened. Speaking of sin eaters, because you brought this up, when I was in college, <laughs> my my best friend in college, Jimmy. We went, uh, one of our our, uh, rituals, I guess you could say, was on on the weekends, we would go to Family Video and and rent DVDs uh, of just like the most batshit crazy horror movies of just like the lowest quality movies. And and we would watch them and and drink beer. So it it would take like 40 minutes to pick out a damn movie at the store. (laughs) But we rented one called The Last Sin Eater. And because we looked at the cover, it was it was cool, and the back of the description was really cool. It was about this guy that was, uh, I think it was in the American South, or maybe the American West, and he showed up, he was really mysterious, and he would go to families of, uh, of like, ailing individuals, and he would eat their sins so that they could pass on to the afterlife free of sin. The way that it was presented was a horror movie on the on like the description that's how we interpreted it so we start watching this movie and it's probably like an hour and 40 damn minutes long and this we're like is this a, is this a slow burn movie sort of like before slow and slow burn movies were a thing and and, and no <laughs> it was not it was a it was like a christian movie about the last sin eater and it was just an allegory for jesus christ <laughs> oh my god what <laughs> I was going to say if it was a documentary, but no, it sounds... It was just an acted out Christian values movie that we we assumed was a horror movie. We watched the whole damn thing, though, until like (laughs) one o'clock in the morning. It was so long. Uh, It was was a disappointment, I'll say that. (laughs) I don't know, it sounds sounds like a... It made a memory. Sounds like something I'm going to go pick up now. <laughs> Let's go watch The Last Sinner. It was, it was terrifying. <laughs> it does remind me of modern day indie horror of slow burn and then it not being worth it. <laughs> so that's my critique on modern horror. <laughs> Yikes. Outside of a singular word for blue, there is an idea that the uh, that a word could be used to encompass the color blue with other colors. There is a hypothesis of linguistic relativity, also known as the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, that argues that the structure of language influences its speaker's worldview or cognition. That's pretty hardcore. So basically, our perception of the world is based on the words available to us to use. So, Angel, this is basically the philosophy of language. We're going back to Loeb. 
It's replacing the philosophy of art with language. This hypothesis is that the way we think is influenced by the way we speak, and language shapes our thoughts and perceptions of the world. Would this not basically mean people who grow up speaking Spanish would have a different perception of the world than someone who grew up speaking English? On the surface, I think, yeah, that's the case, but I have issues with this theory, this hypothesis, because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really ring true to me. I don't have enough of an academic background uh, in, in philology. <laughs> yeah, to, to really refute anything. But I've heard some, like, I've heard interesting arguments. I remember I, I watched, a, I think it might have been a TED Talk several years ago about a guy who was talking about, it was a marketing dude or somebody that like helped with advertising stuff. And he kind of talked about how, lang he pretty much uh, said the same thing, how language affected certain things. And he was, he used examples of like, like the sun versus the moon, whereas like in English speaking countries, the sun seems like masculine and the moon is feminine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and the, I forget what it was he was referring to, but he, he was like, in German, though, in Germany, it's different because the, the, the word for the moon in German is, like, masculine. So it takes on a masculine. And he was talking about how, like, most German men have this, like, weird moody kind of, like, this moody thing going on. And that's, that's because moody of blues. That. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, you can't really generalize like that. But I, I guess I, I saw what he was saying, but. You know, so how about just... like with maybe specifically Spanish, where so much of it is gendered? Do you think that could have a impact on worldview? Well, seeing as I <clears throat> my first language was Spanish, I speaking from my experience, I can't speak for others, but I would say no because I don't. I I always understood that the gendered in language was not referring to an actual gender, so I never really thought. You know, there's rules like, for example, if you're referring to a group of people, whether it's men or or mixed company, like men and women, you use the masculine term for it. Mm -hmm. If it's just women, you use the feminine term. But, like, I never took that to mean, like, oh, you know, somehow men are more important because of the masculine. Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, it's just language. Like, how do you, how do you... You know, you're going to come up with a third rule for that? You had to refute it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, whatever. I mean, nowadays, there's there's people that are kind of trying to change language and, you know, more power to them. But, you know, And we got the whole Latinx controversy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the problem the problem with the Latinx thing is that it's an American, a North American thing for, like, mostly English speakers. So a lot of the South Americans hate it but then the actual south american speakers that that do you know are in a uh, like align with those same values they they just say uh latine so it's like you use an e at the end so it's, so it's like okay problem solved right you know like i don't understand what the <laughs> what the big 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 deal is it's like let the north americans use the x and then the south americans use the e it's, it's not a problem mm -hmm. And anyone that doesn't want to use it, just don't use it. Like, whatever. Angel, Twitter has told me it is a problem, damn it. It's a huge, the hugest problem. Yeah, it's a big problem, apparently. Uh, so, but, yeah. this brings me back to a question that vanished out of my mind, like, 
<laughs> I ran out of metaphors for blue, so I'm not going <laughs> to say one. But can you think of anything in Spanish that doesn't properly convey the same meaning when it was translated to English? So going back to that possibility of this being a lost in translation problem. Yeah, I can think of a lot of words, actually. In fact, I'll just throw some out here <laughs> for you, and then I'll give you an example from one I saw recently. Like, for example, we have this word, and by we, I mean Colombians, because this apparently, I just learned this recently, that this is a Colombian-only term, and no other South American uses this, or maybe some other do, but we say, uh, for when we're referring to, like, little kids or children, we call them culicagados, which usually translates to their asses full of shit or something like that. <laughs> shit bags. <laughs> yeah, so, something like that. So it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't translate... Because it's like you don't really use that word to call uh, when you're call, talking about children. You use that word when you're talking about children, like in a negative manner, like oh, mm-hmm. this you know what this kid did, you know what what the child did today, you know. So you use yeah. that word in that sense. What this um, little bastard did, something yeah, to that effect. Exactly. There's other words, but an example of, I've read recently was I was reading a book or a story in a book that was translated from Spanish. And there's a translator's note. So the word was sperm. And it was referring to like um, a candle. And, and, the, and it, was a, it was like the, the sperm of the candle. And then it was a story that was told to the author. And he was writing it down. So he, the author's note was like the lady had said sperm. And then she quickly changed her wording to wax. And then the author went on this rant about like implying that, oh, yeah, this the story has this sexual connotation because she slipped up and said sperm. But I was like, no, 40 and slip. (laughs) I was like, no, that's that's not true at all. Like the word that we use for uh, wax is sperm, because that's exactly what was used. And I had to look it up because I was like, "I, I don't know why they use that word. And so when I looked it up, it turns out that sperm whales were hunted a lot back then mm-hmm. and they would use their um a, the gland that produces a, a oil mm-hmm. and that's sperm oil is what would be used to be made candles so in this in spanish at least in south america a lot of the times they just use the word sperm to mean the wax of a candle yeah just a colloquialism of fr- coming from the sperm oil right so i mean there is a word to, that means wax as well but i've always heard it as sperm and it's like it's not weird at all, you know. It's just like, okay. you're, you're wrong. This is sexual. This is <laughs> this is aggressive. <laughs> so yeah, so like if so, the fact that the the author was like saying, "Oh, this is sexual," it's like already I'm like looking at um I'm thinking this is lost in translation. There's nobody there to correct the guy and tell him, "Hey, this is referring to the sperm oil from a sperm whale," right? So when I die, that knowledge is gonna die now, <laughs> and nobody's gonna know what it's referring to. <laughs> Until I stop paying for Podbean to host this podcast, <laughs> then it's all going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. Lost into the, the, the ether. <laughs> to play with this idea, I asked an AI to generate some concepts, emotions, or things that human beings do not have a word for now, but probably will in, say, the next 50 years. The AI in question that I used is Google's Bard. So... I was a little apprehensive of, of what the hell I would even be able to generate with it because uh, if you haven't used Bard, it's 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 Bard. So <laughs> let's go through these to get your opinion, Angel. 
the first one it gave me is the feeling of being connected to a machine. This is a feeling that is being increasingly common as we interact with more and more technology. We may need a word, a new word to describe this feeling, such as technopathy. How does technopathy make you feel? It makes me feel like I'm connected to a machine. <laughs> the feeling of being connected. What the hell is the feeling of being connected to a machine? <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to find out when that are we happens. Already, uh, are when a our... vast majority of people already that with computers and, and smartphones? And like we're already connected to machines well, constantly. Yeah, I mean... We, we, Especially the newer generations where they grew up with, with Twitter and all the on this stuff that people get told to go touch grass when they're too online. Mm-hmm. So, an anecdote. My two-and-a-half-year-old daughter uh, is growing up in the world of touchscreens. So, she knows how to scroll through touchscreens and all that jazz. But, say if I have something on... Uh, I, have, uh, I have a computer attached to our, our television and can pull up YouTube. And then it's, all the ads are blocked and all the such. So, she tries to point to a a video on the tv screen expecting it to react as all the other screens have in her life to be touch and it doesn't Mm -hmm. touch and she tries to scroll on the tv screen (laughs) and and we all laugh and it's cute but but it's like certainly live living feeling connected to a machine is this current generation you're exactly right so then i guess we have technopathy (laughs) it's Technopathy's here! Shit. Bard. Bard's ahead of the game. So number two is the experience of being in a virtual world. As virtual reality technology continues to improve, maybe, we will be able to spend more and more time in virtual worlds. We may need a new world to a new word to describe the experience of being in a virtual world, such as immersion. How does immersion make you feel? Immersion is uh, starting to raise my blood a little bit. I thought it was pretty unique. It was a good, a I, good uh, splicing of words. All I, all I can picture is inside of Meta, floating around with no legs. <laughs> but I mean, this sounds like a very Meta word. Immersion, like a, a, a synergistic word that they can use through all their media conglomerate to spread out the immersion. Please don't let. I don't like immersion anymore. <laughs> Yeah, now hate immersion. <laughs> In regards to that, virtual technology will not improve or get better until the cost of it comes down. But that's my opinion. Yeah, and then we can get immersed. <laughs> Can't you wait? <laughs> hey guys, let's go get immersed. No, the third one was the feeling of being loved by a machine. As artificial intelligence continues to improve, it is possible that we will be able to create machines. That are capable of love. We may need a new word to describe the feeling of being loved by a machine such as mechaphilia. Hmm. No. Um. <laughs> That's already got uh, negative connotations to it. And that word was just created potentially now. <laughs> I mean, first of all, when you... When you refer to a love like whatever philia, that's usually referring to the human having feelings for the thing, not the other way around. Secondly, if a machine starts loving you, I don't think it needs another word other than love. Like it's already it already exists. So it's like if the machine loves you, it loves you. But if I am in love with the machine, that is mechaphilia. That mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Bard. Goddamn Bard. <laughs> Come on. Pull to pull it together. <laughs> It's like his pants fell down during this, and he's embarrassed now. (laughs) 
The next one is the experience of dying and being reborn. As we learn more about the nature of consciousness, it is possible that we'll be able to develop technology that allows us to die. <laughs> technology that allows us to die and be reborn. Bard. We may need a new word to describe this experience, such as, get this, reincarnation. <laughs> what? Bard, oh my god. It's like Bard ran out of steam. It's like, ah, uh, death his, and his rebirth. His pants fell down. They're at his pants are at Bard's ankles right now. Reincarnation. Bard, if you're listening, Bard, stop it. You suck. Do, do we need more technology that allows us to die? Is that a thing that's needed? Well, I mean, what does can that I be, even mean? Can I be vermersed and then die? Why would the technology make me die and then be reborn? Like, why? And then give it a new term. Can like I just be reborn? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I just, like, can we skip the dying part? Adding an extra step here, Bard, that is not needed. And this then, machine and must then, kill you and reborn you. And, and then it just doesn't even make up a word. It's like, ah. Reincarnation. <laughs> the fifth one here, halfway there. The feeling of being at one with the universe. As we learn more about the nature of the universe, it is possible that we'll be able to experience a feeling of oneness with the universe. We are all one. We may need a new word to describe this feeling, such as cosmic consciousness. Well, that's two words. <laughs> a new and, a new phrase. <laughs> and secondly, there's we have a history of feeling with uh, at one with the universe. Um, Usually, it's the uh, spiritual, religious types. Isn't that Nirvana? Yeah. So, it's like we have words this, in different this, languages for it. This is Cosmic Nirvana? <laughs> Higher <Cosmic>. Nirvana? <laughs> I mean, there's there's lots of words for it. I, I don't understand why Bard doesn't understand. <laughs> why doesn't it know this? I thought it was supposed to be an AI, not an AD for dumb. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a Carlos Mencia. <laughs> no, I would never. Uh, Tony would. Tony? New York <laughs> New York Tony, let me tell you. I, I envision New York Tony going to Madison Square Garden to see Carlos Mencia. And, and he's, oh, he's this hilarious. Oh, no, he finds him hilarious. Yeah, he loves him. He's a salt of the earth guy. Oh. <laughs> God, remember how much Comedy Central is banking that he would replace Dave Chappelle? Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Comedy Central. Whatever happened to it? Number six. The experience of being able to control... Hmm, the experience of being able to control the weather. As we learn more about the weather, it is possible that we will be able to develop technology that allows us to control the weather. We may need a... A new word to describe this ability, such as metakinesis, like meteor meteorology, oh. metakinesis. But I think it's implication I, there. I would, what does it even come off with with this weather stuff? Like it just went off the rails now. Like oh, uh, control the weather, sure. <laughs> like what? Fifty years we're controlling the weather. And, and and as we learn more about the weather, like, excuse me, Bard, but we've been learning about the weather and we still can't control it. So computers ain't going to change that. 
it's still hard to predict what the weather is going to be. Exactly. Let alone control it. My God. If, if we can predict the weather, I think that's a form of control because then we could just say what's going to happen before it happens. And then when it happens, people are like, what are you, a witch? And you're like, yep. <laughs> yeah. I made it happen. <laughs> and then they say it's like <laughs> it's like a raven, like a, what the hell is it? <laughs> Why is a raven like a writing desk? That's what the meteorologist says and everyone at home says, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the answer that Lewis Carroll was looking for. It's all about meteorology. Yes, King. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> Number seven is the feeling, <laughs> the feeling of being able. Oh boy, the feeling of being able to travel through time. As we learn more about the nature of time, it is possible that we'll be able to develop technology that allows us to travel through time. What? We may need a new word to describe this ability, such as chronokinesis. Cool word, I, but no. I don't even understand what does chronokinesis mean. You're controlling time travel through your mind just the feeling of being able to travel through time is chronokinesis isn't that just living we're going through <laughs> no. time every second speaking of time so something that i saw during the research of this that was specifically from gladstone was about the hopi native americans and the the concept that their language did not have uh, a concept for time so his argument was that they didn't understand time as the like the rest of the world understood time as a as a a point through time chronologically. Yeah. Possibly non-linear time <laughs> one could say, but but then apparently it's been debunked that no the Hopi do actually understand the concept of time. I'm pretty sure a lot of things have been debunked about what people thought about <laughs> other cultures believed. <laughs> Like the Greeks not seeing the color blue. <laughs> blue as a bruise. Number eight, <laughs> the experience of being able to read minds. As we learn more about the nature of the mind, it is possible that we will be able to develop technology that allows us to read minds. There's a lot of words to say the same thing. We may need a new word to describe this ability, such as telepathy. <laughs> oh, what? That's, that's got a ring to it, doesn't it? Te telepathy. Good word. Yeah, yeah, Bart, I think you're onto something. I think we need to market this. Uh, we start printing all our merch with telepathy on it. People will be asking, what's that? And we could tell them, it's reading minds. <laughs> it's like Bard came up with it. It's like if you have a telephone, but there's no phone. It goes directly to the mind. <laughs> telephone empathy. <laughs> that would have oh been better, God. Bard. <laughs> Than oh, using geez. the same goddamn word that already describes it. Number nine, the feeling of being able to move. <laughs> I can already, I'm already angry at this one. The feeling of being able to move objects with your mind. <laughs> the fifth is goddamn telekinesis. <laughs> As we learn more about the nature of the mind, it is possible that we won't be able to develop technology that allows us to move objects with our minds. We may need a new word such to describe this ability, such as telekinesis. Wow, it's on a roll. <laughs> if only Bard was around, like, before those words were actually invented. <laughs> it, it, I prompted it to invent these words. It did it. Or or maybe, maybe it's Bard lives in nonlinear time. So it's actually producing this. <laughs> yeah. 
from back then. So in in other words, Bard is actually giving us the words that he invent or it invented way back then, currently happening this moment. This we is, are experiencing the invention of these words. And you know what's happening right now? This is like Frequency, starring Dennis Quaid and James, John Caviezel. Is it John or James? Jim, Jim Caviezel. Jim? Yeah. James? Jesus. Caviezel? Jesus? Struck by lightning? <laughs> sending signals back in time. This show right here is sending Bard's signal back in time mm-hmm, to some mm-hmm. unsuspecting folk that developed the words telekinesis and telepathy into modern day. Yep, that's exactly what's happening. And then it's going to send back uh, uh, a code word, Yahoo. <laughs> because we're supposed to invest in it. Man, that movie did not age well. <laughs> oh, that was in Frequency? Yes. Invest in Yahoo? Basically. I think it was like... He, was he that like a marketing sent, ploy? No, he was like... He's like sent back. A, he just said, "Remember Yahoo!" Right? Like that was his catchphrase or something. And then the kid remembers this, and when he goes gets older, he's rich all of a sudden because he invested in Yahoo. Give me, give me the classic Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo. <laughs> That's a good Yahoo. Now do it as Tony. Yahoo. <laughs> Scooby Doo showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I do a Scooby Doo in the past? Was that? <laughs> Wasn't that? I have no a goal. I'm pretty sure I Remember had to do I something said, like a rrrr. Sounds ten thousand hours to mastery. I've I've forgotten the last hundred sixty hours. So <laughs> I've, I've been doing so many noises. I've, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did a grunt at some point. A, a Tim Allen grunt. <laughs> The final, final bard, bardism, we can call him. The experience, oh God, I'm already, I already hate it. I already hate it. The experience of being able to fly. As we learn more about the nature of, as we learn more about the nature of flight, it is possible that we'll be able to develop, no. It is possible that we'll be able to develop the technology that allows us to fly. We, we may need a new word to describe this ability, such as, <laughs> you're going to love this, aerophilia. <laughs> oh my god, what? Bard. I don't know, I don't know who uh, programmed Bard, but they, Bard needs to learn that this already exists. We call them airplanes and <laughs> helicopters and other yeah. f- flying things, and, and we, don't, we don't call it aerophilia because that, that implies something else. That is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. What I've learned from this episode, specifically about Homer and him being blind, we need to attribute that to other historical figures, like the Wright brothers, and that it makes their accomplishment even better that they, they develop flight being blind. <laughs> Everyone in history was, was blind. blind. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine you leading... Leading the charge to to end the war of whatever war you want to pick, and the leader was blind. It said that custard in his last stand. The reason he fell to the natives was he he was believe believe this or not, Angel, he was blind. <laughs> he didn't know which way they were coming. <laughs> he was just just attacking in all kinds of in all directions. Ah, yeah. oh, custard. 
Pickett's charge in the Civil War at Gettysburg? Pickett, blind. <laughs> Didn't know which way that. his horse was going. I heard JFK was blind. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying didn't know which way the bullet was coming. <laughs> hey, you said it, not me. <laughs> didn't know which way wasn't. the car was facing. <laughs> nope. Oh, well, Too took a dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add before we get to the rubric of power for the color uh, blue not existing? Yes, I'd like to add that. There is an article, the Business Insider wrote in 2015 about the color blue not existing and i think that propelled all this other internet repeating stories business insider yeah yeah it's the it's the major player maybe more so than gladstone now today yeah and in that article it mentions something like uh it does bring up the fact that uh, the ancient egyptians had a blue dye and it and it specifically says the only civilization to ever develop a blue dye and they are dead wrong because we do have maya blue so the mayans also developed the blue dye it's it's semantics angel they didn't know it was blue (laughs) (laughs) clearly clearly not and not to mention that 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 knowledge was lost over time and it's recently been unearthed again and by unearthed i mean i think rediscovered is the term so now now the, uh, there's a family in mexico that now knows how to make maya blue again and they're keeping the formula secret for now mm-hmm. so that's cool i thought I, I remember reading the article but can you imagine like <laughs> rediscovering something that historic for like an entire people an entire yeah. culture entire civilization of you you are the one that recreated this <laughs> the knowledge of this thing that died out. I think it's, I think it's fascinating because all these blue dyes that I've been reading about or have an interesting property. Like the one I mentioned of the snails, Mm -hmm. the ocean snails and the, the Maya blue all have this thing in common. Um, The Maya blue one is comes from some plant. So apparently the plant, the knowledge of making the blue, the Maya blue from it died out, but they still use that plant for like medicinal purposes. I forget what it was that would happen, but with the plant and with the snail thing, it was a gland and it's like yellowish, like it leaves like a yellow stain. And apparently over time, like if you like stain your shirt with it or something with the, the snail thing, it's like you got this yellow goo on your shirt and then over time it starts turning blue. And it's like what? Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's uh the same thing with the plant, the Maya blue stuff. It's like they do something with the plant, and it like at first it's you soaking it in water, and then eventually you see it starting to turn blue. And I I think that's I I find that interesting that it, like all the blue dyes require some sort of like uh, waiting period. It's not like you just mix stuff and then you mm-hmm. got blue. And just like so. think of the people that discovered that they were working with these mollusks or whatever, and mm-hmm. got squirted. <laughs> left it on their shirt said whatever yeah <laughs> i'm a man and very very masculine of them to leave it on there and then it just changed their shirt or their clothing blue and they're like son of a gun what did that and yeah. then they recreate it and then they search for it and then it becomes a thing to be known as the thing that turns stuff blue it's better than being the guy that ate <clears throat> ate a mushroom and then it killed you and then it's like well that's that's yeah. john's mushroom that kills you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh 
just because we haven't mentioned it. Apparently, the the the, the dying the blue dye stuff with shells and snails uh, mollusks was written by uh, um, several people like Aristotle and Pliny the Elder. <laughs> Gotta include them. Then the book starts. It's amazing how much his name just comes up in in all research of everything. It's it's amazing how much impact that man had on modern (laughs) life. I'm starting to think like, did this man even exist? Was he blind? Was was he blind? (laughs) (laughs) He must be blind. Um, Yeah, and um, apparently the book mentions the Phoenicians too, but I didn't get that far into the chapter because it just kept going on and on about the Phoenicians. But Mm -hmm. I think it was. I think it was kind of going down the route of the Phoenicians and the language used, and then eventually he was going to talk about the colors, and I'm like, whatever. Mm. I'm, I'm done with this book. <laughs> I mean, it's the Phoenicians that brought blue to North America with the domesticated apes. So, yeah. skunk ape dispersed blue. <laughs> <laughs> rare rare, rare uh, fact here, the, the skunk ape is actually blue. <laughs> <laughs> None of that red garbage. Um, another thing I saw in the research that I thought was interesting was about the trade of cobalt to China. And Mm. so at the time, cobalt was worth more than gold in trade. And then what the Chinese would do is that they found it so uh, desirable and intricate that they used it with porcelain to make what we know, China, what we know it as today. And then they would sell it back to the Middle Eastern countries at a higher price than what they bought it as with specific designs to appeal to Middle Eastern countries of uh, of the cobalt design in china i thought that was i learned that all because of blue didn't exist but they used cobalt which was blue there is blue there's there's blue everywhere it turns out and um that's another thing i don't know why people singled out the greeks but also when the other guy that says oh no wait all ancient uh, cultures develop their language colors this way but Turns out that was also disproved, but I don't know. One hundred percent can tell you why Gladstone singled out the Greeks, because his history, his history <laughs> of came of what he recognized as history came from Middle Eastern into Roman into medieval times, the classical history of the world, canonical Western mm-hmm. uh, history is what they call it. A lot of people i've seen a lot of people argue about the word western they're like what do you mean by western it's like it's it's an uh, it's an academic term guys like it's very uh, well defined like come on <laughs> what do you mean how dare you <laughs> western so this is an this is an odd one let's see how this translates to the rubric of power we we may have an incompatible translation, Angel. The the closest thing that we have in our language is the rubric of power, get me off this ride edition, which ranks strange events. So let's see if we are indeed lost in translation like Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. Directed by Sofia Coppola. Part of, if believe it or not, the greater castaway universe. <laughs> Ah, uh, the the in their shoes. How scary would it be to not have the color blue? I was I was gonna ask you what it what exactly was would be the scary thing, like for us to lose the color blue, for us learning that the ancients couldn't see blue, the or maybe maybe the ancients. I've been scared out of my wits the entire time. 
<laughs> maybe the ancients one day, the, uh, little, like a like a switch, they suddenly see blue and they're like, "What's that?" <laughs> they they pleasant build. <laughs> they're like, "What's happening?" <laughs> oh God, uh, this is I. This is I gave it a zero. <laughs> I just oh Oof. so bad. Uh, how 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 scary would it be? Not at all. <laughs> I suppose if the, this concept came up at that time, and the other person who didn't have a specific word for the color blue would be like, "WTF is wrong with this person? That's the color green, not blue." Like, this is entire concepts of language that aren't compatible with things that we understand today. So there is nothing scary about it because it was their arguably their 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 life experience was to. <laughs> If, if you believe it that way, to not have the, a word for the color blue, that was their life experience. So it was not scary at all. Zero. How about the believability of this argument that the color blue did not exist? The believability. Let me, let me go over how believable this was. When I first heard that this was going to be a topic that we would discuss on this, on this podcast, I thought it was so funny because I'm like, this is not going to be this this should be like a footnote in another episode <laughs> cuz why would we ever why would anyone ever entertain the idea not that an this hour is and true? 45 minutes of discussion about the color blue <laughs> but it turns out that there's people actually repeating this lie and I'm like how can you be so d-? and uh, it just uh, powering up again. <laughs> it's just so. It's over nine thousand. It's, it's so infuriating for people, and like they talk about it like as oh, scientific fact is starting to show that the ancients could not see blue. I'm like, how can you say that with a straight face? Like, think about it for a second. How can you be so stupid and think that nobody could see blue? Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like. Uh, uh, I gave it a zero for believability. Oh, oh my God. So I, I took a different approach, maybe through the lens of like a, a, a green-blue linguistic incompatibility. At that, through that spectrum, if you will, that is a concept that I find believable. The idea that language didn't facilitate a specific word for certain things is easy enough for me to believe. But I also think that there's a portion of it that is attributed to, as we were saying before, like a, a loss in translation or differences through time. And maybe the connotation of words versus the denotation of words. That's a huge linguistic thing as well. Connotation versus denotation. Language is a cool topic to speak about and to discuss, and it's it's a fun thing. So for me, for believability, that not that the, the color blue didn't exist, but they're potentially for some people was not a word to describe it. Maybe there's an over-encompassing word that described blue with various other colors. I find that believable. So in that respect, I gave it a four. Probably our wildest score difference ever. A zero to a four? (laughs) Yeah. How about the lore of blue? (laughs) Well, let's see if we, uh, we diverge on this one too. But the lore, I think in this situation... The fact that somebody, you know, William Gladstone, what, four-time British Four-time British Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Four times, believe it or not. Felt that he had, I guess, 
he wasn't really doing a lot of prime ministering. And he was like, let me look at Homer's Iliad and just <laughs> check out how many times he says the color blue in it. <laughs> that was it was before his prime minister days. He had a lot oh, more free time. Okay. <laughs> that's what that's what got him the job. <laughs> it's like, look, I found this out about you're hired. Go talk to the queen or the king, I guess, at that time. Right. 1800s. All, all the kings the out was there. around that long. All the kings out there. <laughs> all the kings. Hear ye. Um, the fact that he did this and he, you know, went to the lengths to write about those. And apparently, apparently his colleagues like laughed at him and were like, yeah. this is ridiculous. <laughs> it, it still is. <laughs> yeah. But the idea persisted. And the fact that there's people that actually had to like look into it and, and then other people saying, oh, well, there's actually cult, ancient cultures. If you read about this, but there's a, a a color study they did a, a few years back with this group of people called the um, the the Himba the Himba people of Namibia with their greens, yeah. So they they gave them like a chart with had different um, shades of green and maybe like one blue that that was different and stood out at least to our eyes. And they were asked to find which one stuck out. They apparently had a harder time doing that than, you know, we did. So the conclusion was like, oh, they clearly don't see the color blue or, or whatever. But when more people started looking into it, it turns out that it's not that they couldn't see the color blue. It's just that to them, that group of people, that blue is just another uh, shade, uh, shade or tint, whatever you want to call it, yeah. of green. So it, it was still part of the their the the range yeah the, the whole blue green spectrum was one thing yeah i think that highlights an, another important thing about how people you know different cultures treat colors differently you know maybe you know maybe they don't have a word for blue but maybe they have a word for green that matches our blue right mm -hmm. their 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 version of of blue because it's just how they're they see things it doesn't mean that they see it differently it's just that's that's the languages that they they, they have for it. Mm -hmm. It gives some credence to that hypothesis that you know some people just don't like about how language facilitates your concept of reality because you you are only exposed to certain words that allow you to express your understanding of of the world. So unless you don't have words for it, it's hard. It, it is literally hard to express things if you don't have a word to express it with. And, uh, and and I think uh, and because of all these things that are happening when it comes to these people doing this, these studies, I think it's interesting because we learn a lot of stuff that we we kind of took for granted. Like we assumed everyone just saw and and labeled the colors all the same way. Mm -hmm. So I think because of this, because of this, this stupid idea, we actually got some fascinating and interesting information um, mm -hmm. about about people yeah i i gave this for for lore i gave it a 1.5 Ooh, you're at a cumulative score of a 1.5 so far <laughs> we're three deep like the the argument that by many is that the color blue just wasn't around enough naturally in the world to have a specific word for it that's that's the main argument here and we of course know that the color blue itself existed there were blue things everywhere but for whatever reason the language didn't facilitate a reason to categorize it differently from other colors and i don't know if that if it's an if that's an underwhelming answer or really just 
an answer that makes sense and is maybe a disappointing answer. Like, it's not something fantastical or supernatural about the past. It's just like language. That's that's the answer of like is language. So I know the first thing that I thought about of this whole thing was like, there's no word for the color blue. If that if you're coming to that argument, the sky is blue and the ocean is blue. So the book through the language glass, the author Guy Deutscher conducted an experiment with his daughter, where as he raised her, he was careful for whatever reason. He was very adamant about this. He was careful to not describe the color of the sky to her. Eventually, he asked her what color it was, and she didn't know how to describe it. His daughter eventually considered it white at first, and then and then later on as blue. So what I'm gathering from that experiment is what I want to see is an experiment where for their entire lives, people are gaslit by everybody that the color of the sky is actually orange and see what happens to them. <laughs> <laughs> Of scientific experiment that I'm willing to take on. That's like, that's like the the experiments of old that don't happen anymore. Is it like the the Stanford experiment where they, like oh, yeah. they created the fake prison and people, the prison guards like would abuse the other people. What the weird thing about that is that they were actually encouraged to do the abuse. <laughs> so it's like you're ruining the. Uh, you're influencing. They're influencers. Yeah, influencing exactly. So I landed on a, a two for Lauren, X, Lauren Mystique, so 0.5 difference, not bad. How about the, come on now, the danger, the danger zone of uh, of the color blue not existing. Well, it says here, danger level, did lots of people die? And I'll tell you this much. <laughs> Shit ton of people died. <laughs> my, lots of my brain cells died. <laughs> Especially uh, reading the people that actually were making the argument for uh ancients not seen color blue is this is this equivalent to like flat earth of today <laughs> oh god it's it's a, we live in a flat earth and there's no blue that's that's a whole new level of conspiracy <laughs> yeah no this this is this is no zero this is the most innocuous thing we've ever looked at no danger at all zero gave it a yeah. zero pop culture pop culture of the color blue not being existent within ancient cultures so pop culture, because of this discussion that we're having, I think it kind of puts it slightly on the map. It's not quite Slenderman level. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just there. <laughs> the color blue didn't sign the Declaration of Independence as B. Lou. <laughs> oh, God. You know, I, I think it the pop culture, um, because of this constant uh repeated myth and we have a resurgence of people saying this stuff you know we get all these writings about uh writings of people debunking it i think that's always cool i think that's always good disproving it um i kind of wonder though like did anyone ever use the ancients did not see the color blue and make a connection with the blue dress phenomena I did see an article actually specifically written about, no, not the dress. <laughs> so it was, it was written post-dress timeline. Like, that did, like, well, wonder, did you see blue blue or gold in the dress? Me. Yeah. Asking me. I saw uh, uh, white and gold, yes. I can't remember what I saw. I'm going to say <laughs> I'm gonna say I saw blue, but I don't, I don't remember where I was when I saw the dress angel. 
Well, here's the thing. This is this that actually is the same thing that we've been discussing, where everyone kind of they're all seeing the same thing, but everyone uh, um, like delineates their colors differently because that image, that that particular image, where the blue part of the blue dress is such a light blue, and I'm sure everyone will agree that it's a light blue color, right? Because if you look at the actual dress, that color is a dark blue or a darker blue. When you look at the, the picture of that, Im, of that dress, you see a kind of a light blue. But it's so light that some people just kind of look at it and said, oh, it's white. Because you're not looking deep into it. Other people are going to look at it and be like, it's blue. Because they see the bluish, the blueness of it. At least that's how I interpreted it. Because <laughs> when I discussed this with my friends when it happened... You know, my friend was like, it's blue and black. And I'm like, well, I mean, when you look at it, it's like, well, yeah, it's it's black because the gold is, is the light reflecting from the, the black thing. Like, I've seen where you have black fabric and you shine a light on it. It kind of has this weird goldish color. It's like it's, all these things is it's like, yeah, it's it makes sense. But I don't think of it that way. I just mm -hmm. see it as... The first thing that popped in my head, it's a light color and it looks kind of yellow. I'm looking at pictures of it now and, and I'm trying to find like the original image. I'm confused as to how anybody could see gold now. <laughs> Have you found the original image? I'm trying to. I just, <laughs> I searched in Google, the dress blue and black. The dress. But it, like all the other images look like they're altered light scale. Like I can't see anything well, but there, there, blue and black. There's a Wikipedia entry called the dress. Oh yeah. So that's the original the original photograph. I I cannot see gold. It is it is the picture the light on the on the photograph like even in the background it's is powerful it's light source. It's very yeah, bright. It's, like that exactly. is a blue and black dress. Right, exactly. But you know, I see that powerful light and I also see that it's lightening the dress, but I don't see it as blue. I, at least I don't interpret it as blue because what? You don't see that blue and black? I mean, does it look like the original? You saw the, is it the pictures is of it the... Because you, Spanish was your first language? It's got to be. Is this our explanation? <laughs> it's full circle? I, I, see the, I, see the, I see the world different. Holy shit, this is a long article. Look at, all the, look at all the references in this article. There are 54 references in the dress article, Angel. Mm. Wow. That dress is blue and black. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you something. Let me see if I can. Was this entire two-hour episode just refuted by the dress? <laughs> we, uh, refuted. we proved them all right. Blue didn't <laughs> exist back then. Oh my god! So I found an article that said, "Those who thought the dress worn by a mother of a bride at a wedding in Scotland was photographed in a shadow." most likely saw the garment as golden white. But those who thought it was illuminated by artificial light were more likely to see it as black and blue. He suggested these differences, differing perceptions could be linked to a person's exposure to daylight. I don't know what that means. I don't I either. I sent you an image. Now you tell me. Does that look exactly like the image in the wiki article? Yes. It's blue and black. The same, the same shade of blue? No, it's a lighter blue in the original image. Right. So it is a lighter blue, right? It's a mm -hmm. lighter color. But for me, because I see it as a lighter color, I don't immediately think blue. Because the blue that I have in my head is the blue of the image that I just sent you. So what the hell do you see that as? 
I just see it as white. I mean, I don't see it as white. I'm, I, I mean, you it's, consider it in like the white scale. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I call it white, but I can, I can, you know, I can do the gradient stuff and paint or whatever, and then see that it's a kind of a, a, a light blue. What about gold? Do you see gold there in the black? Well, it looks it's it, it's not like gold gold. It's it's like a brownish color to me. A tawny? Yeah, a tawny. Like the like wine? Like ancient Greek wine? <laughs> like wine dark. <laughs> I'm more confused than ever. <laughs> Yanni or Laurel? What did you hear? I could hear both. <laughs> yeah, I can hear whatever I'm focusing on more. I can hear either word. <laughs> the mysteries of the universe. Maybe one day we'll be what did Bard suggest? Uh, cosmic, cosmic consciousness. Consciousness. Yep. <laughs> cosmic maybe, consciousness. Maybe uh, we'll develop. Uh, what's that word? Telepathy. Did you say your score for pop culture? Uh, I give it a one point zero five. <laughs> <laughs> you, you child full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> pop culture zero. I give it a zero. Absolutely no impact at all. <laughs> Negative impact if I if I really wanted to. So I landed at a six, uh, a grand total of six <laughs> for blue. What did you What did you land at? God, two point fifty five. <laughs> <laughs> that give. Whoa! Well, divided by three. I gave I gave the the ghost of Carol Lewis uh, a part of the score. That lands us at a rubric of power score for the color of blue not existing in ancient times, however you want to word this, a 4.275. my God. Can you believe that this scored higher than Loeb? (laughs) No. What is up with you, the color blue? You've just been cracked. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> what is up with... Sounded like something from a fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Carlton <laughs> tries to rap or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was that? I was going to say, you've been, uh, you've been expressly void of any movie or television references this entire episode (laughs) it's like it was a goal an unspoken goal (laughs) the color blue did not inspire any movies whatsoever all you kept thinking about was powder and white (laughs) powder oh god or the movie Uh, you mentioned you mentioned stargate i i'm remiss of your stargate reference yes that's right all right curiosities time to Swim into the vast ocean known as the internet, not known for having any color whatsoever, and come ashore onto that terrible island known as Twitterland, where you can find us at Cracking Curios, and only us, only follow us, don't follow anybody else. We're your comfort, <laughs> your, 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 your security blanket, and let us know that we're your security blanket by including the hashtag CrackedCryptids, hashtag... Mm-hmm. Security blanket. Or, you know, you can also do hashtag blue. What's that even? <laughs> Is that the hashtag? The hashtag blue. What's that even? <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. And then you can make your way onto Instagram. Follow us at Cracking Cryptids. 
That's always fun. There's a, a bit of activity going on on Instagram, so you never know when you'll get an update. And if you want to send us a good old-fashioned email and talk about things where you can't talk about on Twitter, you just go on to your favorite uh, email client and uh, type in, in the two space, in the two field, crackingcryptidsandcurios at gmail.com. And in the subject line, right, you guys are the best ever. You can listen to us on any, uh, the majority of the podcast platforms you're familiar with. I don't think I need to say them because you think in them already and you know which one it is. Spotify. And so we're just going to end our show. As always, the color blue isn't real. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. Yahoo!